Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from our slightly different perspective. You know, today I wanted to kind of look back at uh, where we've been and where we're going in the hobby and some of the things that I think in the botanical style aquarium game that have sort of changed um, in terms of how the hobby looks at it and some things that haven't. You know, we're some four years into our existence here at Tenon Aquatics, and it's been pretty amazing to see the botanical-style aquarium starting to really catch on and become a definitive movement within the hobby. Now, at least because I guess I'm, I'm in the thick of things, it seems that everywhere I turn, there's this growing interest in adding, you know, twigs and nuts, as I like to call them, to our aquariums, with more and more aquarists considering and actually creating a botanical-style, even blackwater aquarium. Uh, This is formerly a sort of a sideshow novelty, but it's rapidly moving into the mainstream of aquarium technique, and lots of interesting things are starting to happen. And it's really gratifying to me, as it's something I love for a very long time with seemingly very few friends, or at least people scattered throughout, to really share this with. And in this instance, sort of scratching my own itch and starting tannin seems like it was a pretty good idea. Now, the word botanicals is actually kind of funny, too, because... It's something we see quite a bit now, and quite honestly, I'd be hard-pressed to have seen the term even used in the aquarium context prior to our debut in 2015. Uh, I've been told by some people that botanicals and aquariums are sort of a trend, which is kind of funny because something that's been around, an idea that's been around for a long time, people have been adding you know, leaves and twigs and peat moss and stuff to aquariums forever, but something that's been around that long hardly qualifies as a trend, but you know, whatever. Of course, whenever you're seeing something becoming an emerging trend... I hate that word, at least in the context of an aquarium topic. So whenever you see something becoming an emerging trend, you'll see hobbyists making often incorrect assumptions, having general misconceptions, and occasionally unintentionally spreading completely wrong information about the topic. You know, regurgitated, outdated, or erroneous information that's been floating around out there online for decades. And it's often a function of the fact that some of this stuff has either been underutilized in the past, completely misunderstood, or just not appreciated for so long that we've simply not really considered the dynamics involved in this context. And it's totally understandable, really, I get it. And of course, being one of the leading proponents and arguably one of the most visible and one of the freaking loudest of this type of aquarium keeping, we have a sort of an obligation to the hobby community to provide correct information and clarification whenever possible. And kind of to advise when we think something that's being bandied about might be incorrect. And when assumptions are becoming fact in our discussions, uh, we need to, you know, really address those and, and, you know, talk about that from time to time. Of course, one of the best ways to keep it real and address this kind of stuff is to simply tell it like it is. And it all starts with getting one thing straight right from the start. As I've said, like 140,000 times already, nobody invented the idea of using botanicals in an aquarium least of all us. And you might as well say nature was the inventor of this because nature has been dropping leaves and twigs and all kinds of stuff into, you know, natural bodies of water for eons. Um, However, we made it our mission to sort of educate, elevate, and innovate this stuff in the aquarium world. So it makes sense. I wanted to cover just a few quick basic kind of topics today that I see discussed from time to time, which in my opinion need to be clarified and thought through a little bit more thoroughly before we start jumping to conclusions on them. Obviously, there's like 10,000 other topics out there. We could probably write a column on each one of these, and maybe we just might one day, but here's a start, a beginning of a dialogue, which might provide some clarity on some important aspects of botanical-style blackwater and other aquariums. Let's just start right in. First off, botanicals cannot soften hard water. This is one of the more persistent misconceptions floating around out there. 
it started decades ago, I think with hobbyists thinking that leaves could do it, and it's continued right up until the present. Now, it's been proffered by some that materials such as peat moss can act to some extent as a sort of natural ion exchange resin, removing some minerals from the water and replacing them with humic acids. And I don't honestly know all the details on that, so I'm not going to go on and on, but I think it's perhaps where the idea that all botanical materials can influence water chemistry accordingly arises. Botanical items, leaves, wood, seed pods, cones, etc., do contain tannins and humic substances, and if used in sufficient quantities, can certainly lower the pH somewhat in water which is low in carbonate hardness and is therefore malleable. However, the botanicals themselves simply cannot lower the hardness of your water. For 99.9% of the applications, that needs to be accomplished by a process of ion exchange, like reverse osmosis and deionization. So an RODI unit, as we talk about all the time, should be almost standard equipment for anybody that wants to play with a blackwater botanical-style aquarium. That's my personal thinking. And if you know used in sufficient quantities, you certainly can lower the pH somewhat in water that's low in carbonate hardness You know, with botanicals. So yeah, there's, there's some merit to that part. However, the botanicals themselves simply cannot lower the hardness of your water, period. Soft water, again, is water that contains low levels of dissolved minerals and as such has the lower ability to absorb acid substances, which will accumulate and lower the pH. That's why the effectiveness of botanicals in lowering pH can be significant in soft water. We've addressed this many times before and you can find a lot better more specific information by people more learned and more articulate than I on the topics of water chemistry. And please, please make use of that and do some, do some Google searching and so forth. Item number two, don't let the tint fool you. Now, remember, the visual color change imparted to the water via the aforementioned tannins is not an indication that you have soft, acidic water, you know, Amazon-like conditions. And that sometimes is where I get a little bit thrown off when I see, you know, black water extracts and things added, uh, you know, uh, available for sale. Because I think a lot of people tend to think that, oh, if I just add this to my tap water, I've got instant Amazon. It's extremely unlikely that these things are going to do exactly what you're going to say they're going to do. Sure, they'll put some humic substances into the water. But in the absence of chemical filtration media, uh, such as activated carbon, which removes the coloring from the water, the tint's going to be pretty evident when you you know, put botanical materials and extracts into the water. And that sort of perpetuates the thing that, oh, look, I've got Amazon conditions. However, don't forget that you can still have very hard alkaline water and have some color. Just look at your municipality's animal, annual water report, if you don't believe me. They actually mention things like visual tint, which I think is kind of funny in their assays. And oftentimes, public drinking water systems have more alkaline and hard pH in many parts of the country and many parts of the world. So I guess one could call tint a vanity metric, so to speak, to steal a marketing term in our world. And that's that it's really an observation of cosmetic appearance versus a manifestation of functionality. In other words, lower pH and hardness. Every time you see dark tinted water, it doesn't mean it's acidic and low in, heart, in carbonate hardness. It just means that there's some humic substances and tannins in the water that are imparting this color. Number three, there's no recipe for how many botanical materials will accomplish a given effect within your aquarium water. Yes, I know we've mentioned this dozens of times and it warrants repeating as new and more and more new people come into the game. Although I can make crude estimates based on personal experience with regards to how many leaves, for example, 
it took to lower my pH from X to Y in water with little or no general hardness, it's both unrealistic and completely misleading for me or anyone to suggest that adding specific numbers of various botanicals to your tank can give you a specific pH or specific number. If for no other reason than the fact that there are countless variables in everyone's aquarium and everyone's water, and that the botanicals themselves, being natural materials, may even have varying levels of pH affecting tannins and such, you know, in a given, given size leaf, for an example, we just can't quantify this. We might tell you to start with X number of items simply because I do it, but it's not a recipe. It's not a guarantee that you're going to get some kind of a, 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 an effect from that. You need to start off with what seems to be a reasonable number of materials and test your water regularly to determine the impact on your aquarium. It's still about nuance, exploration, and experimentation, and all changes need to be done slowly and carefully. The one thing I can almost guarantee is that when you put leaves, botanicals, etc. into your water, you will influence the bio load. In other words, you will influence the load of organics that the resident bacteria population has to cope with. So of that, you can be sure and potentially could create negative effects if you add too much too fast too soon in an immature or otherwise stable environment, which has had nothing added for extended periods of time. You start dumping a lot of botanicals in there. It makes sense that the bacterial population is going to say, whoa, I've got to catch up to this stuff. So again, changes need to be done slowly and carefully and realistically. Number four, this is something I talk about a lot and I think we're sort of on to something, but it's not a given. The creation of food webs. It's interesting, it's not spontaneous, or even a given when we're utilizing botanical materials in our tanks. Sure, we, I spend, again, I spend a lot of time talking about this stuff and creating a system that facilitates the growth of significant quantities of organisms like, you know, fungi, small crustaceans, worms, bacteria, and aquatic insects. But the reality is that just throwing leaves and seed pods into your aquarium isn't the whole story. Sure, as they decompose, they'll fuel some microbial growth and generate biofilms and fungi, which fish do utilize for food. However, you'd likely need to inoculate your system with small crustaceans like Daphnia, Cyclops, Gamorous, etc. in order to have a more complex and diverse food web, if you will, available to your fishes. And you'll need to do this prior to adding the fishes again because they'll eat them right from the start, right? Or you need to do it in the confines of a separate refugium. Look up that term back from the reefing era. It's pretty interesting. It may actually sort of come into play or into vogue again in our type of aquariums over time. Um, so you may want to do a refugium installed solely for the purpose of cultivating these life forms. It's an interesting and potentially game-changing idea, particularly for fry-rearing systems. We've talked about that before, and I think that's really exciting. Number five, botanicals will not give your aquarium a permanent stable hardscape. Now, when you're talking about materials that by their very nature begin to break down as soon as they hit the water, the clock's really ticking, right? Now, some materials, the more durable seed pods and, and maybe even some of the more durable leaves like oak leaves, for example, will last longer than say, you know, catapa leaves or cones as they, you know, break down in a matter of weeks. However, the vast majority of botanicals all begin to decompose and physically change appearance over time. And that's kind of a cool thing, really. It's uh, exactly what happens in nature. In fact, if you want to take a lesson from the mainstream aquascaping world, it's sort of the example of wabi-sabi, the, the transience of things, which uh, Takashi Amano himself talked about a lot. So these materials create what can only be referred to as an ephemeral, ephemeral, boy, did I botch that word, an ephemeral hardscape. In other words, one that starts to evolve and change over time because the materials start disappearing slowly. 
one which might well be anchored by permanent pieces like rocks and driftwood, but accented by these changing botanicals. And that's kind of part of the fun, the art, the, you know, the interesting um, evolution of utilizing botanicals, replenishing them, knowing when to replenish, remove or leave in or whatever. Whole discussion on that. Very interesting stuff. We like to refer to this as an evolving hardscape, and I think that's a pretty accurate descriptor. And it reflects both the charm and the attraction of the Blackwater or botanical-style aquarium. Unlike many of the traditional approaches in aquascaping, a significant part of the appearance of the tank is driven almost solely by nature. And as such, will change as the materials break down, they're moved about, or covered with biofilms and algae. It's exactly what happens in the wild. And we like to say that operating this type of aquarium requires a distinct mental shift. Now, of course, you can keep your aquascape looking pretty close to the day it started if you know if you regularly remove, clean, and replace your botanicals. However, that level of intervention may not appeal to everyone. So accept a certain degree of, of evolution. Accept that your aquarium will change in both appearance and characteristics over time. And that's a good thing. That's a natural thing. That's part of the game. And that plays right into our next topic, number six. Botanical-style aquariums are not what we call set-and-forget systems. I mean, no aquarium really is. However, in the case of botanical-style aquariums, it's pretty much a non-starter. Look, you're talking about a tank with typically soft, acidic water, a fish population, and a large quantity of materials which are breaking down steadily. The number of critical variables that are involved in a tank like this requires regular observation and management on the part of you, the aquarist. Now, I would not state categorically that these aquariums are like teetering on the brink of disaster at all times. I've personally never had a crash or seen, you know, rapidly rising out of control nitrate levels in an otherwise actively managed and well-managed botanical style aquarium. Like any type of aquarium, you need to observe, monitor, maintain, and track your aquarium status as it evolves. You'll learn to spot emerging trends which may or, you know, may not prove problematic to your specific system. Sure, you don't need to apply the same super high level of diligence that you might with, say, a coral propagation system or a discus breeding tank. But the simple reality here is that you're going to have to get your hands wet, and you'd want to. Number seven, patience and the passage of time, <clears throat> and, my, and my voice, of course, are the key ingredients. <laughs> Over time, botanical style aquariums seem to reach a sort of equilibrium, don't they, where you won't see any significant parameter swings or changes. The bacterial population adjusts to the amount of materials in the tank, provided you don't continuously add large amounts of new stuff, overfeed, or add large quantities of fishes, or make sudden abrupt changes in procedure. Consistent practices work best. This is, again, not unique to just botanical-style aquariums. This is Aquarium 101. And these tanks, again, are no more inherently unstable or dangerous, something that we've you know often heard bandied about in the past about blackwater or botanical-style aquariums. They're more no more dangerous than any other type of system that we play with. You just need to understand the dynamic, including things like biofilms, decomposition, and detritus, which might have scared the shit out of you in the past, and realize that these are normal for this type of aquarium. You simply need to embrace and accept the limitations of a given tank, and not to simply expect to sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight, as they say. Don't expect sudden shifts for the better or for the worse. Try to be consistent, involved, observant, and above all, patient, and you'll be just fine. Now, sure, I could go on and on and on and on and cover dozens and dozens of different obscure, arcane topics and myths where, you know, which come up in this context in the botanical-style aquarium world. But I think I've addressed some of the most important and most common ones that we see discussed from time to time. And hopefully what this does is it just provides a contextual framework for you to explore and discuss more on, you know, online and elsewhere about the design, the construction, the management, and the nuances of botanical-style aquariums. 
It's really an exciting, evolving area of the hobby. And it's kind of breaking out of the shadows of misconception and obscurity. We need to get better and better at sharing our actual experiences with this stuff rather than simply regurgitating old or secondhand information, which is so common in the hobby nowadays. And like everything else, this type of evolution takes time. It takes patience. It takes understanding. And again, lots of sharing of firsthand information. Are you up for it? I hope so. Stay engaged. Stay involved. Stay methodical. Stay excited. Stay curious. And always stay wet. Till next time, this is Scott Feldman. Thanks very much for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to uh, discussing this topic and others with you online and elsewhere. And look for you next time on the next installment of The Tint.